Welcome to the SOS Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa Smallwood, and you are listening to Episode 8. Glenn Close once shared these poignant words, What mental health needs is more sunlight, more candor, and more unashamed conversation. As a counselor, I obviously have a strong connection to mental health challenges, but as I discuss with my guest, Julianne, I also have firsthand knowledge of what it means to live with PTSD and panic disorder and other mental health challenges. Julianne shares her unique perspective as the spouse of someone struggling with mental illness. Her story is rich, inspiring, and full of wisdom. Any conversation I have with Julianne invites me to introspection, and I have no doubt you will experience the same listening to this episode. Here's my interview with Julianne. Hello? Hi, Julianne. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good. Good. Excited to have you here with me this morning. I'm excited too. I'm, it's nice to talk um, just about life. I, I feel like we get to talk a lot about life and writing, but it's nice to just yeah. have some dedicated time. For sure. So would you start by telling um, my listeners a little bit about yourself and you can also tell them how we know each other. Um, okay. I'm Julianne. I'm from Lexington, Kentucky most recently, but we've kind of bopped around while my husband's been working on his um, master's and PhD. Uh, I have two kids. They are five and just started kindergarten. Um, I think what else is going on? I feel like I'm in such a transition season of life trying to sort out what's the next path because I've been home with them for the last, well, since they were born, mm-hmm. um, which is a path I never thought I'd be on. And now I'm staring down sort of what I want to do next. That um, can be an exciting phase of life and it can be really scary too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a, uh, yes. It, the possibilities, it's like so many open doors and which one do you go down? But I think that's a good tie into how we met um, pursuing um, more intentionally the writer life. And um, we've met doing an online writing group, chatting and giving each other feedback for, um, I guess, just this year, most of this year. Yes. Um, which has been so good for me. It's um, been good for me too. Yeah. In a lot of ways. Yes. Yeah. So I invited you on today to talk about um, mental health. It's a, it's something that you and I are both passionate about, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, And you have an interesting perspective because you have the perspective of a spouse of someone who lives with mental health challenges. Mm -hmm. And this has been on my mind a lot lately um, in the last year or so of myself dealing with some really severe mental health challenges um, related to PTSD and the resulting anxiety and panic disorder and all those things. Yeah. Um, I'm painfully aware of the impact that has on my husband. Mm. Um, and at one point he had even said um, in the impact statements, we had to write for the attorney for the lawsuit that's pending yeah. um, for the accident that happened to us. He said one of the major impacts of the accident was um, the pain and the helplessness of watching me go through what it has caused in my life and not being able to fix it. And I thought that was so profound. Yeah. So tell me um, a little bit about your journey um, being married to someone that struggles with mental health issues. Yeah, I I totally relate to what you're saying and and to your husband. And um, my journey is sort of learning how to be a caregiver and then realizing that I've been 
um, covering over my own mental health needs along the mm-hmm. way mm-hmm. and the slow journey of learning to care for all the parts of my body. Um, I think of mental health as a spectrum from illness to wellness, the same way that I think about my physical health. And I think it's a spectrum that we all travel every day and through seasons. And sometimes we get stuck in a place and we need more support to get moving again. But I don't think of it, you know, like your fixed fixed point. Um, I think my first experiences and concepts about (laughs) mental illness and mental health were formed in the community that I was raised in, in a Christian community. Um, And my husband was raised in a Christian community, but in a very small town. I grew up in a more, um, in a larger city, but I think the, the attitude was similar, which was that if you are having a hard time, it's a result of bad choices that you made, Mm -hmm. um, or you're not praying enough or trusting Jesus to change your heart or fix you in some way, magically, you know, you don't have enough faith. Right. Yeah. And I think those ideas were just so ingrained in both of us. And we got married and I think Drew has been dealing with his challenges for mental wellness his entire life. And it was just not picked up on because in the environment that he grew up in, he just behaved, you know, he could follow the rules and then just sort of suffered silently. Right. Um, And then when we were married and suddenly we're in each other's space all the time and you're much more emotionally in tune with another person and relying on them a lot of that came to the surface. Um, and when we first got married, we moved to Toronto and he started a master's program and we were completely isolated from family and really slow to build new friendships. And I was working as a nanny, which I love kids, but it was not an environment to meet, you know, more peers and right. build a support system. Um, and things kind of started to unravel there. And then we moved back to the States and immediately got pregnant and then it was twins and like that was another (laughs) huge dive and looking back on it it's like oh I can see so clearly all of the ways that like we needed support but we didn't know what to ask for because we were so ingrained in this idea that we should be self-reliant if you're you know faithful God will provide if you you know we were still like volunteering in excess at church and doing all of the things that we thought we needed to do to prove that we had it together when we totally didn't Mm -hmm. um so it wasn't really till we moved to Lexington um, that Drew was able to get some better support um, through his health insurance and, you know, find better therapists here. Um, and that's when I think my mental health really took a nosedive. I was home with two very needy, clingy toddlers mm-hmm. and struggled to build a community again. We're in a space without family and starting over with friendships. Um, And my fixation in that season was to just control what I could. So I was going to be like, if staying home was the one thing I could control, then we'd just stay home. And if, you know, having very like clear expectations in our marriage was like what we could control, then we'd do it. Mm -hmm. But when you're dealing with mental illness, I mean, some days you can use those things as like an aspirational kind of guide. And then some days that just feels like, I think it felt to Drew like I had these unrealistic expectations that he could never meet, mm-hmm. um, even on his best days. And that was sort of the beginning of me realizing that I had a lot of anxiety myself, that I was sort of self-medicating with trying to, you know, control. prove to myself. Yeah, control, yeah. prove to myself that I wasn't flailing. Um, so I started having these panic attacks that were you know horrible um I think you know about those where you just feel like oh you feel like you're dying you feel like you can't breathe right 
yeah, my like one side of my body went limp and like numb and I thought I'm having a heart attack. And I felt so embarrassed when I went to the ER and they were like, you're fine. Your body is so healthy. We've done all the tests. You can go home. And I still felt this way lying there, you know, in the hospital bed. Um, And the doctor said, you know, the cortisol builds up in your body over long periods of time until it just can't anymore. And then your body releases it through these, you know, overwhelming sensations. Right. Um, And you just need to take care of yourself. And that is like the most unhelpful advice that you can give someone. Um, Who's drowning in twins. Right. right. (laughs) And you have no idea what that means and how to, you know, eat healthy when you're just trying to like feed people and exercise when you have no time. And, um, but I sort of, I'm tried to make small goals and, um, I started reading more about, um, ideas like embodiment and, um, listening and finding presence with your experiences instead of feeling shame for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I know you and I joke about our Enneagram one connection. Yeah. I feel like maybe it's a particular challenge for that. Uh, that part of us, but I felt like it, you know, I'd be knocked flat for three days after a panic attack. And I just couldn't get out of bed and I couldn't do anything, which feels like the height of failure as a mother and a yes. writer and a parent and friend. Um, <clears throat> so I've just, I've tried to spend more time meditating on and reading. I've been reading um, Hillary McBride's book about um, mothers and, and body image, um, which I didn't expect to resonate so much because I don't know that I, my issues are so much the traditional thinking. When I think of body image, I think like, oh, I don't like what I see in the mirror. But I, mm-hmm. I definitely have this core body image problem where if my body is not able to do all the things I demand of it, then I feel like I am worthless or I don't mm-hmm. you know, deserve to have the relationships I have or whatever. Yeah. And like it's betraying you. I feel yes. that. I felt that way very often about my body. Like, yes. what good are you to me? Right. <laughs> um, I'm curious. You said that the advice that that doctor gave you was not helpful. What would have been helpful mm-hmm. in that moment? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what's really fair to expect of like a ER resident at two in the morning. Um, <laughs> what was really helpful was when I finally I had took several more of these panic attacks before I decided it was worth going back to my general practitioner for a follow-up. And she is this lovely woman who just sat with me and was just said, this sounds terrifying. And, Mm. you know, I know that you're doing everything that you can and it's still not working and you're like, you shouldn't have to suffer this way. Um, So like, what are some small changes? What can we do? Who can you ask for help? Um, And that was validating because, it felt like, well, I don't need to ask for help. At that point, I had finally gotten my kids into a full-day preschool, and it felt like, what am I doing? I'm a stay-at-home parent with no kids with me, and I still am having these problems. I, mm-hmm. My health is still suffering. I'm not producing. I'm not achieving. Um, and that I think that kind of connection. And I have found that a similar connection with a number of people in online forums and um, through books who share just that I don't know that I guess call to introspection to say like, why is it wrong for you to rest? Why is Mm -hmm. it, you know, um, or what are the things that you feel are necessary um, that you have to be in control of? And, and for me, that is, I was trying so hard to control the conditions so that my mental or husband's mental health wouldn't be triggered. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, keeping the kids calm and quiet, making sure there was like 
our finances were on track and everything in our life was as stable as possible so that he wouldn't have more anxiety causing, you know, situations. Right. To Um, the point of neglecting yourself. Oh, yeah. 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 Canceling plans, canceling good things for my body because of, and he hadn't asked for those things. Mm -hmm. Um, I was totally me pushing to this, like, um, and it didn't work either. <laughs> like his, right. his mental health is his body. And so sometimes it's environmental factors, but sometimes it's just his own brain chemistry and his own needs. Um, so yeah, definitely being open to this slower work of embodiment. And I've been doing a lot of meditating on that idea and like actually meditating and writing and talking with um, friends about what it means to honor and care for my body the way I honor and care for my husband and my children. Right. Um, which is such a simple idea, but it feels it is, so, but hard. so difficult, yes. especially with our Enneagram oneness, mm-hmm. because we have we don't just have high expectations of other people. We have ridiculously high expectations mm-hmm. of ourselves. Yes. Yes. And realizing that and recognizing that and freeing ourselves from that can be so healing. Yes, I completely agree. Yeah. So as a new wife and a new mom, you were struggling with balancing the needs of your husband, realizing that you were neglecting your own needs. Mm -hmm. Where did um, friends, family, what kind of role did they play in that or what role do you wish they had played in that time? Mm. Uh, That's a good question. It was challenging when we were in Toronto because the physical distance um, and I think mental health, while it's not, we're in a, you know, in a city, so I think there's less stigma maybe in a more urban environment, but even still, mm-hmm. people are really uncomfortable talking about mental health. Um, right. I think the idea that you're crazy is going to rub off on me, you know, these very <laughs> archaic ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want to be burdened. You don't want this person to expect too much of you. Right. Um, which I think is ultimately a problem of boundaries that any of us can, you know, set limits on how much we can give, recognizing our own limitations. Right. Um, so, yeah, we, I think all along the way, we've had different challenges with our anchor point has been friend groups related to the churches we've been attending. Um, but then I think as Christians broadly just have such a bad theology of, of health, of mental health mm-hmm. um, and suffering Agreed. and knowing what it means to walk with people in their suffering to show up in physical, practical ways without trying to erase what they're experiencing or pray it away or, um, you know, question their Tell faith. them what they need to do better. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yes. So. It's think- I think it's interesting when we talk about Christianity and mental health because they do, there is a tendency to minimize mental health struggles, mm-hmm. but yet when you open the Bible, I think there are so many instances Mm -hmm. of people, even David, a man after God's own heart, Mm -hmm. supposedly, who were obviously struggling with mental health challenges. Oh, and you think about trauma and how trauma affects and what we know about it today that we didn't even know 30 years ago. If you look at the Bible through a lens of trauma and every character is experiencing trauma. Yes. And I certainly think that spiritual health is a grounding way to like, re-engage with your life and pursue other kinds of physical and mental health but yes yeah it cannot cure it um 
yeah. and should be and shouldn't be a place where shame comes from. Right. Um, I'm sure you heard of the pastor recently. There have been several actually mm-hmm. in the last few years, but just as you know, recent as a week or so ago, who who had founded a Christian agency about mental health mm-hmm. and still took his own life because mm-hmm. there we live in this world where depression is real. I mean, it is caused by chemical imbalances in your brain. It's not caused right. by not thinking enough positive thoughts. Right. And I think people lose sight of that until even a pastor doesn't feel like he has anywhere to go yep. with that pain and those suffocating feelings that I know you and I can relate to. Oh yeah. Yeah. Especially in a position of some kind of leadership or authority where you feel like everyone is looking to you to be a perfect person. Right. I can't imagine the challenge. Um, Drew has struggled off and on with suicidal ideation and I have never experienced that. And so it's hard for me to totally to know if I'm under or overreacting when he's feeling this mm-hmm. way, um, mm-hmm. how to be a good support without being, you know, ridiculous and like making it worse or right. brushing him off. Um, and I still don't really know. I, I do a lot of reading about it and try to listen to other people's stories, which I think is the wonderful thing about learning about mental health in this day, because you can look online and see, find so many great resources and so many people's experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, for uh, a year and a half of our, our first year and a half here, we were part of a small group um, that we were hosting every week and it would be a real trigger for anxiety for Drew. And we'd be up the night before and he'd be talking about, you know, I'd be trying to figure out, should I take him to the ER or not? Like, is this, mm-hmm. what is the way to love? Is it to lay here with him and hold him? Is it to take action but then we would still clean our house and hurry our kids through dinner and, and put post- your smile on. Right. And then yeah. even the times when we would talk about it, I think people just freeze and it's like, Oh no, that's really bad. And I don't know how to get mixed up in that. Mm-hmm. And it became so hard. Even these people that I was seeing every week and building close relationships with the times when it would be like, it's three in the morning. And I think I do need to take them to the ER. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I can ask anybody or no one would respond to um, come watch your kids. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Right. Or to like, can you come watch them tomorrow morning so that we can sleep for two hours in order to start the day? Right. Um, and I think that the church is so well organized to meet those kinds of needs and it's just afraid to. And I hope that that mm-hmm. will continue to change. Right. Like for the sake of, you know, the pastor that you're just talking about and his family and for you know so many other people um, who are looking for, I mean, the, I think the whole idea of a body of, of Christians coming together, like we are all messed up people. Right. We're clearly looking for, for hope and peace and love. Um, and it shouldn't be surprising that we bring our messes with us and that we right. need, yeah, thoughtful care. Um, I'm curious, um, how has having mental health issues with both you and your husband, as you, you know, talk about, how has that impacted the way that you parent? Mm. Well, we parent very differently than we were raised. Um, I really try to focus on helping my kids learn emotional regulation. Mm-hmm. Um, they're only five, so that's sort of where we're it's at. It's a right great now. time to start. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. And realizing these are skills that we didn't learn until we were adults. Right. Because we were taught to silence our own feelings and obey um, the teacher or the parent or whoever, but not to process them. Um, mm-hmm. And I think for Drew that left to a feeling of anxiety and helplessness. And for me, it was like, oh, I'll just control everything I can. <laughs> um, so for our kids, we tried to honor what they're feeling and talk about, you know, I, you are really mad about any, I mean, the things that I think are so silly or are just annoying because, you know, we just did something fun and now you're having a meltdown because you didn't get right. the last, you know, but helping them to name and identify what they're feeling and what they wish had happened. And then to empathize with it, even though I know I can't give in or change a situation, the power of affirming someone's experience is just continues to amaze me. Um, And to see them reflect those behaviors back to us when we are, you know, if they're having a tantrum and Drew is also like getting into a panic attack that I can say to my daughter, like, I know you're so upset that we can't do this thing we planned, but Papa is also having a really hard time right now. And I think we all just need to take a break. That connects with her in a way that if I just said, stop screaming, then she just feels shut down. But if I can affirm, and then, you know, there's follow-up conversations and we just talk a lot. (laughs) A lot. Um, And that's so healthy, Julianne. It's so healthy for kids to grow up doing that, being able to identify emotions. I mean, you would be surprised as a counselor, the number of adults that walk into my office. And I realize quickly that where we have to start yeah. is with being able to identify feelings. Yes. Like that's how closed off sometimes as a society we are yes. to emotion. Mm-hmm. And I think it starts with this fundamental sense of self-worth that like children believe that they are great you know typically child Mm -hmm. hasn't experienced a lot of trauma my kids are always like I did this and I'm amazing you know right but as adults I think the years of being feeling on the outside or like we failed or unhappy with ourselves just getting back to that place that says I am worthy like my experiences are valid and I deserve to feel well and healthy and to experience love and not be, you know, taken advantage of or whatever the thing is, just going back to that place has made such a difference for me and starting there so that then I can say, you know, this relationship, I need to set a boundary because it's draining me or I don't have to perform at church in order to build relationships. I don't have to be the best volunteer or the best whatever. I don't have to meet all of my writing goals. I don't have to be super effervescent. Like I can just be in my body. And when I'm having a low day, I can take, you know, be attuned to that. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so I feel like our kids are kind of, I don't lean too heavily in the idea that like our kids are going to save us, but I think they're forcing us to rethink and restructure and repattern our lives in really hopeful ways. Yes, I agree. And I think that's, you know, one of the things that's always so amazing about life Mm. is the, the hope of the next generation. Yeah. Yeah. And what we're doing to impact it. Right. I think that's powerful. Yes. So what are some things that you do to take care of Julianne? Not Julianne the mom, not Julianne <laughs> the wife, not Julianne the writer, yeah. just Julianne the human. How <sighs> do you make time for her? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, I one of the first things I started doing was seeing a spiritual director a couple of years ago. Um, and that helped me to work through some of my, my faith has shifted a lot over the last few years. 
um, and to kind of find more grounding and to understand more of the connection between my spiritual life and my physical life and my emotional and mental health. Um, so while I enjoy listening to podcasts and engaging with spirituality conversations and writing about it, um, he also has encouraged me to just read fiction and to get lost in, yes. you know, stories that are not heavy, dark stories, um, not loaded emotional stories. And that's been a really good practice. Um, I've been enjoying just walking more and doing some, um, I set up like a, oh, this is like the sort of thing that I would be horrified. My former self would be horrified to know that <laughs> I have uh, like meditation corner in my living room where I have mm -hmm. um, a candle that I can light and a bell that I can ring and just a space to sit and be still for a minute. And sometimes I use guided meditations. Sometimes I just listen. Um, because the, I mean, the research on just being still and whether that's prayer or yeah, yeah, just mindfulness is so such a rich kind of restorative behavior. It is. And it's also incredibly powerful and impactful to your mental health. Mm -hmm. Like one of the things that I do that has helped me come out of this fog of panic attacks and things like that is practice daily mindfulness. Mm -hmm. Because if we can start our day from a baseline of calm and peace, mm -hmm. um, you know, you have further to go before you get to that point where you're right over the edge. Right. And you can identify right away if there are things that you need to attend to in your physical body or your exactly. mental body. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. A quickened heart rate. You're going to notice faster. Right. Things like that. Right. Well, Absolutely. Actually, yeah. So tell me how you care for your marriage. Oh, that is, that is the challenge. I think finding places or times when we are both in a place where we can have positive connection. Um, I think we can have lots of positive connection that's caregiving, but like when we're not attending to each other's needs and we're just present the to needs each other. of the kiddos. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, it's gotten easier now that they're back in school because we can go out for breakfast or we like, um, my husband's a grad student. So we'll go to a coffee shop and write next to each other. Mm -hmm. um, and I think finding more opportunities to be together that are not loaded or not processing feelings um, has been super helpful. Um, but it's hard. I think it's, uh, I often envy the marriages of friends who don't deal with any kind of chronic illness or mental health because mm -hmm. it just seems fun. And I can definitely put that on a pedestal over like the real beauty that is present in showing up for someone who's not fun. And when I'm not fun, you know, right. that, that it, I don't, I don't worry that my husband is going to give up on me. I think the what we're learning as we work through these real challenges is what love means in practice. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, it's definitely an area that I want to grow this year and in the future, because I, I think at this point we are still trying to manage it for my husband, like just daily anxiety triggers. Mm -hmm. um, and so sometimes the most loving thing is that we're just in the house, but not talking to each other and we can kind right. of have that presence, but not uh, in interaction, um, which I describing it out loud does not sound like a lot of connection, but I think. Oh, it really, does. Yeah, it does. Because one of the things we've learned over the years, because we've had my chronic physical mm -hmm. um, issues as a, you know, theme of our marriage. And then this mental health stuff that's come and gone throughout the years. Yep. Um, 
I think one of the biggest ways that we show our love for each other is by giving each other that space. Yeah. Like my husband is a five on the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. Um, He's incredibly introverted. Like I don't think I can stress how introverted he is. (laughs) And he has grown to um, tolerating social interaction for my, for my (laughs) behalf. But I also have, come to understand that he needs time alone Mm -hmm. even time away from me Mm -hmm. where there are no demands on him and he can just read or he can just sit like my husband likes to just sit in the quiet I'm like what is what is up with that I can't like so many things would be flying through my mind um but allowing him that time and not taking it personally as like rejection yeah um that took time for me to understand this is just caring for who he is and and actually the Enneagram helped a lot with that too yeah I I encountered this idea when I was studying monasticism a number of years ago that the the way they think about their work the work of prayer or of like they you know the hours that they pray these set times throughout the day um they use this phrase supporting the silence that they're Mm -hmm. holding space for silence they're so while they're maybe gathering together to pray or they're in their own separate rooms praying, they are holding space for the other needs of the community. And I think there's so much of that in marriage or there can be this gift of saying things aren't okay or maybe they're okay with you and they're not with me or whatever. We're in different places and I'm here and I'm not like requiring that you change or that something new happens or that we fix mm-hmm. things, but I am here and I'm for you. Um which like brings me a tear just thinking about it. I think it's such a yes. powerful human. It's such need. a beautiful thing. Yes, yeah. exactly. And I'm not yeah. going anywhere mm-hmm. and we can disagree and it's still team us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's really beautiful. So um, Julianne, before we wrap up, would you tell um, my listeners what you're reading? You just mentioned some of what you're reading, mm. um, watching and listening to these days. Okay. I've been reading a lot of like young adult fiction. Um, I can't think of any of the titles. I, I've been burning through all these recommendations I got on Goodreads. And I just read a really interesting book of short stories by Ted Chang. It's a sci-fi and he does a lot of good kind of melding current things that I do have real anxieties about with spiritual questions or other kinds of cultural questions um, and putting them in real people's lives. Uh, which kind of helps me to take my anxiety out and look at it and not let it run away with itself. Um, mm-hmm. I've been watching. I've been watching Shit's Creek. Have you watched that? I haven't yet, but oh I've heard goodness. a lot about it. I I tried watching it a few years ago and got a few episodes in and just thought, oh my gosh, these people are so annoying. But then I picked back up on episode five or whatever and just fell in love with the characters. It's such a... They are all misfits and there's such good conversation and dialogue around the ways that everyone drives each other crazy and what it means to love and accept each other anyway. And I just, I think it's so well done. Um, and I love that they specifically created a, it's a small town, small Canadian town deliberately created without any kind of homophobia. Mm. Um, and so there's a number of queer characters and they are just like, they're annoying to each other in the same way everybody's annoying to each other, but there's not this othering that happens. Right. Um, especially I think in small towns, it's just a wonderful show. Oh, I'll have to watch it. Yeah. I forget what your last question was. What, what you're I? listening to. Oh, listening to. 
Oh, never ending number of podcasts. Um, <laughs> I just found one, Richard Rohr. I guess there's a first season to this I haven't listened to. Um, and now I'm blanking on the title, something about like things to tell you or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's taking reader questions that relate to his latest book, Cosmic Christ, and working through them with two other hosts. And they're just having these wonderful conversations very open and people are calling in from wide variety of faith backgrounds wrestling with I think the questions that all of us ask about faith and what God is like and Mm -hmm. how to live Um, Mm. I love Richard Rohr me too it's wonderful yeah um and so I just want to thank you so much for coming on today and sharing a little bit of your story as a wife a mom and as a woman um listeners will be able to find links to how they can connect with you on melissasmallwood.com slash sharing our stories on the show notes. Um, We'll have all the ways that you can connect with Julianne. She's doing great work as a mental health advocate and as a writer. So again, Julianne, just thank you for joining us today and I'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Bye. Bye. As I mentioned during the show, I fear for the silence many Christians suffer in because they are ashamed or afraid to seek help for their mental health struggles. I have a t-shirt that reads, It's okay to have Jesus, and a therapist too. If you are struggling, please reach out to someone, me included. We are not meant to sit in our pain alone. Till next time, be blessed. (music) 